If you have your Bibles this morning or your apps, I've recently gotten back to um, uh, a quiet time in the morning um, with, you know, and I, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a techie guy. I'm an app guy. I like to see all you guys reading your Bible plans on the Bible app, and I enjoy that feedback. I'm sure some of you have wondered, how come we never see the pastor reading on a Bible plan? How come he won't join me on my Bible plan? I asked him a hundred times. But because I've gotten back to a a brick-and-mortar paper Bible, um, study Bible, right? If you have one, hold it up high this morning. (laughs) There's a few. There's a few. Uh, Yeah, so... It's just, it's just a tactile thing for me. I'm trying to disconnect a little bit from all the digital stuff. And uh, if you'd like to know more about that, I'll, I'm happy to share with you. But uh, I'd, I'd, I'm just trying to disconnect from all the digital electronic stuff and the noise in my life. And I would encourage you. It's, it's been wonderful, and I'm trying. And my wife will attest to that. I'm trying. Sometimes it's hard, but I'm trying. Uh, so if you have a paper Bible... Turn to the book of Revelation this morning. We'll get a jump start. And always remember that God, when we, when we do what we do in God's house on Sunday morning especially, um, I, remember, I always have to be reminded that, you know, that God is not in the audience this morning, right? He's not in the audience. He's not part of the, the crowd or the, the, the receptor of what we're doing. You know, he's not in the audience. That God, in fact, is the audience this morning. God is the audience. We're here to worship and praise Him. He is the object of our worship and our praise. He is the audience, not just, He's not in the audience, right? We're not talking to Him. We are worshiping. That's it. There's a big difference. And so if you have your, your Bible, now you know we've been in this series called Mission 316, right? And we're on this, this mission to explore different, different books of the Bible as we walk through and how God would speak to us through that, different passages uh, in the Bible that have that reference. Remember, way back, and this is the final week of, uh, of Mission 316, and it's fitting that we, we cap it off with, with this, uh, this scripture this morning. But we looked at John 3.16, right? The most famous book of the Bible. We looked at that. We've looked at Joel 3.16. And that was, a, that was a time where we could look back at the Old Testament and how that, remember the, the, the maps that we showed and the topography all stayed the same and, and when Jesus was born, all that, how it all fit together from the time of Joel 3.16 to the time of actually Peter preaching um, later on in the New Testament, the first century church, and how he quoted Joel. And, and then we, and then Kathy shared with us Matthew 3.16 and Jesus' baptism, and what a wonderful job she did of explaining the background and how all that worked. And then we looked, um, we looked at a few other ones, John, 1 John 3.16, last week we looked at that and we talked about what love really is in, in a Christ-like manner, and we, we linked all that with other stuff, and today... The final week, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16. And you should be able to find this one because it's the last book of the Bible. And then you turn over a couple pages to that third chapter of Revelation 3, 16. And I would say that this verse is one of the most um, memorable verses in the Bible. For some reason, when you hear this verse, you never forget it. How many are, are, are morning breakfast people? 
Like you got to get up, you got to have your breakfast. I'm included in that. I got to have something, right? It's got to have, but some people can put it off, right? Some people get up in the morning, they might have a cup of coffee or tea or something, but can't like go eating anything first thing in the morning. You got to wait a little bit. You got to sort of get your eyes open. You got to, maybe till you get to work or you get the day started. Um, how many are like that? Kind of got to eat later. You're going to wish you were those people this morning. Because when you hear this verse and, and the graphic nature of it, Well, we'll go right ahead and get into it. It's one of these verses that kind of stays with you. Revelation 3.16. If you have it, say amen. Amen. All right, here we go. The verse reads this. It'll be on the screen. So, because you are lukewarm, everybody say lukewarm. Because you are lukewarm, which means you are neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. You're not cold or hot. You're not hot or cold. You're just lukewarm. God says, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Anybody have a different translation this morning? Spit you out of my mouth? There's another word that he uses, and I'll get into that. But that's the scripture. Spew, it's it's actually worse than that. It's actually worse than that. But that's the scripture. That's our verse. Revelation 3.16. Now, as we look at this verse... It's very, 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 very crucial and important that we understand the history and the background to this text, right? We're doing that. So if you understand the history and the background, you'll see that that verse actually makes perfect sense. Now, you've got a couple chapters, right? You've got Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. These are seven letters that were written to seven different churches in the book of Revelation. Now, if you want a little history lesson on the book of Revelation, I hope you can find that somewhere. No, I'll give you a little bit. Uh, so the, the, uh, the Apostle John was exiled to an island called Patmos. Um, they killed some of the disciples, and uh, they killed some of the, uh, the early church leaders. Um, they crucified some, they beheaded some, and uh, they really didn't like what was going on in the land. And, and so um, the powers that be uh, just decided to exile John to an island. So John is on this island of Patmos. Everybody say Patmos. Patmos. Say it again. Patmos. Say it again. Patmos. I could do this all day. John is on the Isle of Patmos, and John gets a revelation, a vision from the Lord. Um, This was specific to John for this specific revelation, the revealing of what's going to happen in the end times, the end of time, really. So John gets this revealing, this revelation from God, this vision from God, um, and, and, and this is what transpires in this book. And then he has this vision, and he saw these seven letters written to seven different churches. And these seven churches and the seven letters, um, these churches are in an area, a geographic area, of what was called Asia Minor. And, and it's, it, in biblical times, they called it Asia Minor. It's sort of um, southwest of modern-day Turkey right now, and, and these cities are still there, actually, to some degree. Now, each one of these letters was written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And the great thing about this is that uh, anybody who has a paper red letter version of the Bible, uh, these all seven of these letters were written by Jesus. So this isn't an interpretation. This isn't like maybe what the Lord would be. No, this is written by Jesus to these seven churches. Now imagine that. You go to your mailbox and you see that there's a letter there and you open it up and you see that it's from Jesus Christ to you. I mean, that, that's what this was. This, this is a letter to the church. Imagine how carefully you would examine that letter. 
Imagine how, how intense you would be reading and studying those words. And in reality, those seven letters were written to those seven churches, and they were actually written to us because it's in the Word of God. So everything that's written in the Word of God is for our benefit, right? So we, we read these. Each of these seven churches had sort of a different personality. They had a different issue to deal with. And when Jesus was writing this letter to each of these seven churches, he addressed all these different topics or issues that they were dealing with. The first church in Revelation 2 talks about it's the church at Ephesus. You know, the Ephesian people, the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is still a place today. Uh, and the, they, their issue was they had forsaken their first love, right? And that is tough. I mean, he was tough on some of these churches. They no longer were committed or loved the Lord like they did at first. He's saying, you've lost your first love. And then you had the church of Smyrna in Revelation 2, further on in verse 8, that had suffered through great affliction. And then you have the church of Pergamum in Revelation 2, verse 12. It was tenacious. Pergamum, they stood up to incredible, incredible great persecution. And they remained steadfast. The problem was, in Pergamum, they had allowed false teachers to start teaching them. And so Jesus had to write them a letter. And then the church of Thyatira, in Revelation 2.18, had allowed sexual immorality in the church. And they allowed it to go unchecked. So Jesus had to write a letter to the church. And now in the church in Sardis, Revelation chapter 3, we start to get into our chapter uh, the church of Sardis was a dead church. There was like no life, no joy. There was no worship. Like the, like the praise and worship we had here today, there was none of that. And then you have in Revelation 3, 7, the church of Philadelphia. And if you read God's word, that letter to Philadelphia was probably the best of the seven. And then we come to our text this morning, the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. And they had all kinds of problems in the church of Laodicea. But the first problem, the main problem they had, and if you're a note taker, it'll be up on the screen. The main problem they had is that the, the church in Laodicea was overrun with materialism. Overrun with materialism. It had spiritually gone astray. And in many ways, that describes the, the church of today too, right? It gets overrun with materialism. The church in America, for sure, um, you know, we live in a very wealthy country, right? Would you agree with that? That if you look around and compared to other areas of the world, I know some of us are having financial issues from time to time, and maybe even right now, maybe that's you, and, and I get that, but by and large, overall, as a country, everybody wants to come here. We're, we are viewed at, from the world's perspective, as a very wealthy country, but if you would ever travel to a third world country and then come back to the United States of America, you would realize truly how wealthy we are in this country. America is, is so wealthy and the churches in America, we all have so much to be thank, so thankful for. But I think in a lot of ways, a lot of groups and a lot of religious gatherings have really, the churches have kind of lost their way. We have so much to be thankful for, but spiritually, we've lost our way. Now, the church of Laodicea sat, this is important to know this geography and topography, the church of Laodicea sat at the junction of two important trade routes. 
routes, routes. How do we say it in Western PA? Route. Two important trade routes. There was a north-south trade route, and there was an east-west trade route. And usually, if your city was anywhere on any trade route, um, you did well financially, right? There was a lot of traffic, a lot of commerce. Trade routes were, were very common, and, and any city that was along any one trade route would do well, let alone being at the intersection of two trade routes. And that's Laodicea. If you were at the intersection of two, you'd have the people traveling south and north and east and west. You would be doing very well financially as a city. There would be money flowing in and out. Laodicea was kind of on a whole other level. And it was a ridiculously wealthy church for a few reasons. Right? If you're, if you're a note taker, this is one reason that it was an extremely wealthy church. It was a hotbed for Gold. Gold. Real, they were digging gold up out of the ground. It was, it was like the gold rush happening in Laodicea. There was a hotbed for gold. People were pulling gold up out of the ground. There was, there was gold in them our hills. Hello, somebody. All right, I'll get you going in a little bit. Laodicea, the second thing was that uh, the ground was very fertile. And for the reasons of raising livestock... Fertile ground is something that you want. You raise good crop, you raise good feed, you feed the sheep. Now they would feed the the sheep in Laodicea so well with this fertile ground that Laodicea was known primarily for the trade of wool. They had the finest wool in the land. And they would trade this wool and sell this wool. And so you can imagine they sold the wool and the traders and the textile industries in the city were along the trade routes and when they went all this north, south, east, and west, they were, they were extremely wealthy, but they had, they had all this high-quality wool. The third reason was they, they had modern medicine. They had medical advancements in Laodicea. And, and experts that have studied this say that they even had doctors back then performing eye surgeries. I mean, can you imagine the delicacy of eye surgery? And they were mastering that in the city of Laodicea. So you see how it all ties together. They had this this salve that they developed, right? And, and, and theologians and, and commentators for, for generations have, have made it known that this was the place to get this eye salve was coming from Laodicea. It was some paste-like substance that they came up with that where they would actually put on people's eye, eyeballs. And sometimes their eyes, they would have trouble seeing and trouble with their vision. And sometimes they would be almost miraculously able to see again. Because the Laodiceans had developed this eye salve. And so they had gold, they had wool, they had this eye ointment stuff. And it was part of the reason why this church was so, so, so wealthy. But in order to understand what Jesus was writing here, we have to understand what the background of what was going on in that city, right? So even though the city was extremely wealthy, they had one major problem. This whole city had one big problem. Great trade routes, they had all kinds of cool stuff going on, medicine and wool and gold, a lot of things going for them. But the one problem that they had, they had terrible water. Terrible water. Now think about it. There wasn't modern day ways of plumbing and delivering water like there is today, right? There was, but there was no source of water in this city. So they had to bring it down from other areas. Or bring it in or bring it up or over. There was no natural water source in Laodicea. So they would bring it down from a couple different places. And one was Hierapolis, which was about six miles to the north. And it had hot springs there. And everyone in Laodicea knew where these hot springs were. 
In fact, they're still there today. And I was able to grab a, a picture off the internet of uh, the hot springs, and, and there they are. That's the hot springs in Hierapolis, which sits above. And I think what I read, something about this is where travertine comes from, this area, this kind of natural travertine, and that's what you're seeing, those mineral deposits. But these are the hot springs, and they're all over. If you do a little bit of research, you can see people still travel there today. Tour groups go there today because it's, it's a hot spring. It's kind of cool. You got, well, it's kind of hot. You get there, and you're like, wow, this is, this is different, like bath water. And so the, these thermal pools um, would, would deliver water down six miles to the, to the uh, city of Laodicea. And so they're there. And they're waiting for this water, and they bring the water down from these from the north down to the south. Now, now down south there was a city called Colossi. Everybody say Colossi. I like that word, Colossi. No, and they were known as a cold water source. So if they wanted some really cold water, they're gonna go down to Colossi. They wanted a hot spring, they're gonna go up north. And so Laodicea laid in between these two, these two um, areas that had the hot water to the north and the cold water to the south. Now, it just makes sense, if you think about it, that by the time they brought the hot water all the way down from up north, from Hierapolis, it was kind of lukewarm, right? It wasn't hot anymore. And when they brought the cold water from down south, from Colossae, it's not cold like it just came out of the spring anymore. It had actually lost its coldness. So it, too, was now sort of lukewarm, not cold. So it was common knowledge back in these days. Now they had money, they had wealth, they had materialism, and that materialism had crept into the church. And we can also uh, understand that, that there was common knowledge. Everyone in the area knew about Laodicea's wealth, and they also knew about Laodicea's water issues. And so when Jesus sits down and writes the letter to the church in Laodicea, right in the middle of this letter, he, adjust, he addresses the, the issue of materialism. Look back at verse 17 in your Bible. And our text is verse 16, but if you look at the verses after, right, because we look at before and after because you know the rest. The first three rules of biblical interpretation, right? Context, context, and context. You've got to look at before, you've got to look at after, you've got to look, look at what's going on. You can't just cherry pick verses out and say, that's my life verse. See what was going on before and after, and after, if that, that's what really matters. If that's what that's really saying. Anyway, verse 17, you with me? Yeah. Verse 17. Remember this. Remember Jesus said, somebody say Jesus said. Right, this is Jesus. Remember, he wrote these letters. He said to them, now don't be mad at me for what he says here, okay? Be mad at Jesus. <laughs> Let me know how that goes. But don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Somebody say Jesus said. He says, you say, you folks here say, I am rich. Now remember who this is written to, the Laodiceans. You say, I am rich, I am wealthy, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. How does that sound about, about right? about the church today, about maybe someone you know, not you in this room, I know you guys, polish your halos, you came to church this morning, but people that you might know, say, you know what, I'm rich, I don't need a thing. We're so well off, it's one of the reasons that we don't need God today, right? Because I, I don't need anything. I'm not in need of anything. We can figure stuff out on our own, we've got devices, we've got this, we've got resources, we don't really need God, I am rich and I don't need a thing. That's the problem today. Jesus said, you're rich, I've acquired this wealth, I don't need a thing. And then Jesus says, but you, don't, but you do not realize that you are actually wretched, pitiful, you're actually poor, rich people, and you're blind and you're naked. Now if that was Western, let's say Western, if this was out in the country, he would say, you are poor, you're blind, and you're naked. 
You know the difference between naked and naked? Naked means you have no clothes on. Naked means you're up to something. Moving on. You, you guys are cruel this morning. A bunch of cruel. Give me a little love. It's lonely. I told you. you. He said, you know, you have all this money and there's nothing wrong with having money, right? Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. The problem isn't you having money. The problem is money having you, all right? Let's just get that out of the way. You know, you have this nice house. You got this lavish lifestyle. It's all okay as long as it doesn't own you. You've got your status. But he's telling this to the people in Laodicea because they had let materialism creep in, not only to their society, but into their church. He says, you've got your status, right? He says, you know what? That's pitiful. He says, pitiful. You've got your, your, your 401k plans. You've got your wealth. You've got all that. And you're trusting in that. That's the problem. If you actually trust in your own wealth and your own ability to put that aside and to do all that, if you're trusting in that, hear the difference. He says, you're actually poor. You know, you got the gold, you got the bling, you got your jewelry, your diamonds. It's so bright you can hardly see, but you're blind. And then he says, you know what, you got your fancy clothes, you got your special wool, you people in Laodicea, you make your custom outfits and your custom clothes and your custom suits and dresses and you got to have the latest and it's got to have the label on it or it isn't right. And and he says, you know what you are? You're naked. And this is what he says, if you study this, he draws their attention to the church. And the three idols that the church was known for, the things that they worshipped, remember the three things, gold, their wool, and their medical, their eye ointment, these medical advancement, Jesus tells them in verse 18, y'all need to stop rushing around and trusting in your gold. Stop trusting in your wool. Stop trusting in your medical advancements. He says, you know what? I counsel you. How many of you like to get some counsel from Jesus himself, right? Or would you? Or would you? This is his counsel. I counsel you, if you're going to buy something, buy something from me. I've got gold that you know nothing about. I've got gold that's been refined in the fire. So you want to really be rich. I've got clothes, and he's talking about here the robes of righteousness. The clothes that he would give you. This robe of righteousness that would cover up your shameful nakedness, he says. And I have salve to put on your eyes, not only so that you can physically see like your medicine has given you, but these will open your spiritual eyes to the truth as well. So he says, stop trusting in your wealth and start trusting in me. Your wealth is really keeping you from having this relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in it. Now go back up to verse 14 in the text. We're going to look at verse 16. Remember, this is our text. But verse 14, I want you to go to the beginning. It says this. To the angel of the church. Everybody say angel. When Jesus wrote these seven letters to these seven churches, he gave the letters to an angel, and the angel was the one who actually delivered the letter to the church. So he says in verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, I want you to write that these are the words of the Amen. To the, these are the words of the faithful and the true witness. These are the words of the ruler of God's creation. In other words, what you're about to read, this has the authority stamped on it of Almighty God. So you better pay attention. 
And then he says in verse 15, and he's speaking to the church. Remember this, he's speaking to the church. He says, I know your deeds. The Bible says that God is aware of every word that comes out of our mouth and every deed that we do. In fact, they're actually being recorded and written down. He says, I know your deeds. And then Jesus, as he always does, takes this teachable moment in the setting that Laodicea is in and he plays off of their water problems that every Laodicean would have known about. He said, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. And then he says in verse 16, so because you're just lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I am about to just spit you out of my mouth. And God is saying here, and this, this phrase, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, this phrase is made up of a couple of Greek words, but he's basically saying, because you're neither hot nor cold, you're making me sick. The two Greek words is, is kairos, which is the word that, that just means you're kind of in between hot or cold, you're warm. It basically means that you've kind of lost, you're not hot, you're not defined, you're not hot or cold, you've kind of lost your essence, you've lost your character, you've lost your usefulness. You remember those waters up at Hierapolis, right? Those hot springs? Hot water has many uses. And remember those cold waters of Colossae, very refreshing. Cold water can be used for a lot of things, it's, it's got a lot of use. But that lukewarm water is just like, bleh, you're not hot or cold. Now, most of you have gone to Starbucks or, or Dunkin' or, right, or something, right? And it's easy to use this illustration, right? But if you walk up to the, to, the, to the menu and you look on there, they've got two lists. Hot drinks and cold drinks. There's no menu for lukewarm drinks. It's either hot or cold. In fact, if you get a hot drink and you mobile order it way too early and you get there later and you drink it, it might be lukewarm. And you got, oh, this lukewarm, like, whoa! You ever pick up a drink that you thought was hot, and the coffee, and you sip it, and you're like, oh! And what's the first thing you want to do? <laughs> Spit it out of your mouth! But this, this second Greek word that goes into this explanation of, of the, the, about to spit you out of my mouth is emeo. E-M-E-O, I think it's, I think it's spelled emeo. Which means actually to vomit. Yeah, you. It doesn't mean to spit. See, spit is something I choose to do. Right? It's a difference. To vomit is a word. This word, emeo, sort of means to reject. Right? That's why I asked if you had your breakfast. Because this is strong, almost vulgar language for Jesus to be using here. It's this image of, of to, to, to reject something. It's to describe Jesus' degree of disgust with this church and these people being lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. It's repulsive to Jesus. Repulsive. So the fact that you're lukewarm, you're not hot nor cold, Jesus says that makes me sick. I have three chairs here that I've brought to the front. We're going to bring them up on the platform. And I want you to know about these three chairs. 
I'm going to randomly call on people to come up and sit in these three chairs. I'm just kidding. I was going to say, so y'all better start praying. <laughs> these exa- this example has been used. But we have these three chairs. And these three chairs, one represents the cold, and one represents the hot, and this chair in the middle is the lukewarm. And right here, sorry Sean, right here is where most of us sit. If we're being honest, right here is where most people sit. They sit in this chair and they get into the lukewarm chair. They're not cold, which is useful, and they're not hot either. But if you were using a temperature gauge to gauge your relationship with God, would you describe your relationship with God as completely cold? Where, you know, you're just turned off to all... If you're here this morning, I would think not. If you're watching, go to the trouble to watch online, I would think that you're not in the cold chair. But would you also describe your relationship with God in the hot chair? You're just on fire for the Lord, we say, right? Most people are right here. Most people are right here. When it comes to, when it comes to serving, right? Signing up and being a volunteer, helping out with something in the church. People like to be right here. Y'all see me over there? I thank the Lord for a clear pulpit. I know, don't move too much. We're all right here in the middle. We all like to be lukewarm. When it comes to, 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 to your Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Scripture, you have like an everyday plan. You have like an everyday, this is what I do every day. This is my, my, my routine, not habit, but my routine, what I prefer. Or, or do you, you know, crack it open on Sunday morning and then maybe throw it on the, on the desk or the table and it doesn't get open until the following Sunday morning. Most people sit right here. How about, here's a good one. How about giving? Oh, here he goes. No, 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 listen to me, church. God's got certain commands that He outlines in Scripture for giving. I said this before, a five is not a tithe. Right? God says tithe. God says look at your check. Figure out what 10% is and return that to me. And then get better and be more generous. And that's a good place to start. This is a command in Scripture. But where do you sit? Are you lukewarm about that? Yeah, I'll throw a 10 in when, you know, when it's time. I'll, I'll go in the box in the back or I'll text to give and I'll put 10 bucks in and hit the button. Look at me go. <laughs> Look at me go. This is where you are. Most people sit right here. They like to be in the middle. It's comfortable. Hot is hot. Out. And cold, ah. Uh, we all know what cold is. <laughs> lukewarm. It's kind of warm. It's nice to be right in the middle. It's comfortable. It's cozy. Let me tell you something. The blessing of God is in this chair. God's blessing is in the hot chair. We like what it is to be in the middle. 
We like what it is to be sitting right here. This is, this is most of us. Over here, will this require something of us? This requires something of us. Because if we're sitting here, if we're sitting here in the middle, we're comfortable. We don't, we don't have that much commitment. Come on, Pastor. You know, I have, I have a job. I have a thing. You're going to cry me a river. You're talking to the wrong person. That's way too much commitment. But I do need to know that my eternity is secure, and I need to know that I'm okay. So I don't want to be in this chair. This is cold. I'll just stay right here in the middle. Lukewarm. I like it here. Francis Chan had a sermon one time called Lukewarm and Loving It. Because that's the church. We're lukewarm and we love it. Just more commitment over here. But as I said, the blessing of God is over here. You're wondering why you're not experiencing some of the things that the, that the people of God are experiencing and how come I don't see and how come I don't feel and how come I'm not blessed and why am I in the same place I was five years ago or two years ago or last year? Well, what's your commitment level? Are you lukewarm and loving it? Or are you getting involved and on fire and, and sign me up and what can I say and what can I do and how can I help and how much can I give? Can I do it sacrificially? My goodness, let me, let me sit in the hot seat for a little while. People love this seat. They love it. The church in Laodicea with their lukewarm water, they would have understand, understood this illustration. If you read further on, and, and this is, wasn't in my notes, and I, I think I'm right, but if you read further on in the scripture, uh, in verse 19, it says this, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So be earnest. Same chapter, few verses later. Jesus, Jesus remember he's writing these letters. Jesus says, here I am. Here I am. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And if a certain few people hear my voice, what? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You're sitting in the, in the lukewarm chair. And he's, he's knocking. He's knocking. You think, I have, I have never really served anywhere in the church. I've never, I mean, I see the, the few people that do, right? It's the, it's the 80-20 rule in most places. That's a little different here. We have more involvement here. But if you've never jumped in and served, he, he's standing, he's knocking. Move from the lukewarm seat to the hot seat and experience the blessing of God. Giving. Ah, uh, you know, pastor, I can't really give. It's a sliding scale. It's a percentage. It's 10%. It's easy to figure out. Round numbers. I like that easy math. But maybe you're sitting here in this lukewarm chair this morning when it, in regards to your giving and he's saying, you know what? I'm knocking. 
And that thing that you're thinking of right now where you think, yeah, I probably could do a little more or be a little more involved, or that thing that's gnawing at your heart right now, that's Him knocking. And if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. God's not going to force His way. Jesus isn't going to make you do anything. All He's saying is move over to the hot seat. And here's the payoff. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. To the one who's victorious. To the one who gets out of the lukewarm seat and moves to the hot seat and gets all in with Jesus Christ and sells out and says, you know what? I'm done playing around. I'm done being lukewarm. That's the one that's victorious. The one who, who embraces this Christianity thing and goes all in. Some of us would call it sanctification. Going all in, right? Absolute honesty before Him. God, I am all yours. We're going to get the right, not only to be in His presence, which would be enough, but to sit with Him on His throne. When I first read that, I was amazed. And then he closes with this in chapter 3. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love that. Whoever has ears... Anybody have ears this morning? Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, you know what? Laodiceans would have understood what this was all about. Are you ready this morning to move from this seat to this seat? Are you ready? The blessing of God happens in that third hot seat. You don't have to wonder anymore, well, how come I'm not, and how come I don't see, and how come I don't feel, and how come I'm not seeing this and that and changing this? Maybe you're sitting in the middle seat, and you're lukewarm. Really take some inventory, and Randy, if you would come really take some inventory this morning of which seat you spend most of your time in. And that's another thing I didn't even touch on, is that you know there are seasons in life, and I understand that. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I just can't. I can't right now. I can't. I just can't. I have to sit in this seat for now, and this is where I have to be. The blessing of God is over there. Well, I'm comfortable here. You know my schedule? I couldn't fit one more thing in. Maybe it's time you took inventory of your schedule and really answer the question, what are you worshiping? Maybe it's time to move over here. Well, pastor, I can't even hear you. I can't even hear the voice of the Lord. What I've been experiencing, maybe there's too much noise covering up the voice of the Lord in your life. Maybe there's too much noise. 
Maybe it's the constant noise in your life. And you can't hear. He's knocking, but you can't hear it. Who has ears, let him hear. Do you have ears this morning? I'm not talking about physically hanging from your head. Can you hear the voice of God? Can you hear Him knocking? Or is there too much noise in your life? Pastor, you don't understand. I've got this schedule. My kids do 12 different things on four different days and it's crazy and we're going and, and it's noise, 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 noise and it's, it's the person, uh, the, the coach, the, the teacher, the this, the that, the calling me and texting me and bing, ding, ding, ding. Constantly in your life. Constantly. Like 24-7. I know I can text, some of you I could text two in the morning and there would be an instant reply. How is that possible? Don't try to get a hold of me at 2 in the morning. It'll be difficult. Don't try to get a hold of me at 9 o'clock at night. It's going to be tough. I am. I, my phone goes, goes to bed an hour before I do. Maybe you need to eliminate some of the noise so you can hear the voice of God, so you can say yes to the Lord, move over to the hot seat and experience His blessing. That, that's how it works out. Maybe there's too much noise in your life for you to hear the voice of the Lord or to hear Him knocking. Y'all know what noise-canceling headphones are? You put on these headphones, some, some go in your ear, some go over your ear, and you flick a little button, and the little button matches the frequencies that are around and drown those out. So when you go on an airplane or something, they're help, helpful. You put them on your ears, and you know how when you put headphones on, you can kind of hear, still hear what's going on. And you hear a little muffled, right? When you flick this button, the world disappears. And for crying babies on airplanes, that's a beautiful blessing. When you're just trying to get some rest, and you go, ah, ah, click. Everybody's gone. Maybe inadvertently by sitting and spending too much time in that middle chair, you've got those noise-canceling headphones on and you can't hear him. He's right there knocking. Would you stand this morning? I'll have a word of prayer and ask for your response to the message that you just heard. Anytime someone had an encounter with Jesus Christ in the scriptures they had a response that being in the presence of Jesus demands a response you cannot walk away the same as you walked up to Jesus and no decision is a decision so if you would bow your heads this morning as you reflect on what we heard Jesus write to the church in Laodicea and you've seen this illustration up here this morning with these three chairs. Jesus says, I wish that you were one or the other. But because you're in that middle chair, because you're lukewarm, I'm about to vomit. Folks, take inventory of your life this morning. 
look at your life from afar if you can. Is there too much going on? Do you worship the God of busyness? Pastor, you don't understand. I mean, I I got all this. Yeah, believe me, I get it. There's nothing more important in your life than your relationship with Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Well, we got this schedule. We got this going here. And I got to go there. And Tuesdays are this. And Wednesdays are that. And Thursdays are that. And I go in 500 different directions on three different nights. And it's crazy. And how am I going to fit that in? Nothing is more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship, because He bled and died on a cross for your sins, rose on the third day so that you might have eternal life, the very least you can do is carve out some time and prioritize your schedule and get rid of the noise and spend more time with Him. However that looks like for you. Maybe it's physically more time. Maybe you sign up and volunteer for something. Maybe you get more plugged in. Maybe you want to be a part. I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe it's giving. Maybe you're like, you know what? Yeah, a five isn't a tithe. I need to really get my life in order. I need to get my giving in order because I'm not on that hot place. I'm not on that hot seat. I don't experience blessing. I I kind of sit in the middle and do what I got to do. And you're comfortable. If you're comfortable this morning, if you're not being challenged at all by God, you're not hearing His voice, you can change that. He's standing and knocking. Anybody who opens the door, He'll come in. Sometimes we, as preachers, use that as a salvation message, right? He's standing at the door of your heart and knocking. Believers this morning, and and in context, he wrote this letter to the church. Those words are found in a letter that he wrote to the church. People in the church of Laodicea. So church, I would ask you this morning, Can you hear him knocking? As we bow our heads and close our eyes and finish with a word of prayer, I would challenge you with this. Whether you're here or online, it's the same. What seat are you in? What seat are you in? And do you want to make a change? Do you want to make a change? Not for change's sake, so that you experience all that God has for you in your life. The blessing of God is found in the hot seat. So Lord Jesus, as we pray this morning, God, as we seek you this morning, what are you saying to us? through this ancient text and this letter written to this church in Laodicea? God, are we lukewarm and loving it? God, are we sitting in this middle chair this morning? Comfortable? Not being challenged or stretched or growing at all, but just sort of sitting in that lukewarmness? God, if that's us, 
we take that risk of you spitting us out of your mouth. God, the very least we can do is serve you. The very least we can give you is our lives because you gave your life for us. And so Lord, as you've challenged me and you've challenged our congregation and and everyone watching this morning, I would challenge the congregation, Lord, in Jesus' name this morning. If you want to get out of that lukewarm seat and get into the hot seat, the seat of God's blessing, if you're ready to move from that place to the seat of God's blessing, then I would just challenge you. I would pray. I'll pray for you. I will lift your name before the throne. We saw that the one who gets the blessing will be able to sit on the throne and be an overcomer. If that's you this morning and you're ready to move from being lukewarm and loving it and comfortable into the hot seat and ready for God's blessing on your life, if that's you this morning, I'll pray for you. Nobody's looking around, but I'll challenge you with that this morning, church. If that's you, just take a second and slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me this morning. I accept. Challenge accepted. Amen. Amen. A vibrant hand waving in the air. Anybody else this morning ready to get off that lukewarm seat and put your busyness and your noise and and really focus on, on what's important and showing your children what's important in your life? Didn't even go there, but imagine if you've eliminated a few things and then focused more on God's work in your life and get ready for His blessing. If you're ready to move from that middle seat to the hot seat and get the blessing of God just slip your hand up and I'll lift your hand lift you in prayer this morning praise the Lord I thank you Lord Jesus once again this morning that we are obedient to your word and that God we are ready for your blessing we're getting off the seat of lukewarmness and getting over to the seat of the overcomer of the one who is victorious, of the one who gets to sit on your throne with you and experience your blessings here in this life. God, I lift up those who have raised their hands this morning that they may leave here different than when they came in. And the response, Lord, from the entire congregation, Lord, would be yes and amen because we cannot leave an encounter with you, Lord Jesus, without some sort of a response. So, Lord, thank you in advance for what you're about to do because a few people in here had the guts to say yes, Lord, yes. I am moving from the lukewarm seat to receive the blessing of God in the hot seat and deepen my walk and further my commitment. And Lord, I thank you for those who have had the courage to do that. And I pray, Lord, that if there's some that didn't have the courage to slip their hand up, that's okay. That, God, you would bless their lives and begin to minister to them and, Lord, quicken their hearts and put people in their midst and in their life, God, that would be there for them and that would show them, Lord, how what a true commitment to Christ looks like. God, that we would get out of the lukewarm seat and start serving you with our whole heart and worshiping you in spirit and in truth with our whole heart. God, when people would look upon our lives that they would say, you know what, that person serves Jesus. I don't know what else they do, but first and foremost, they serve Jesus. Might that be the evidence in our life, God? I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this church and what you're about to do through people that have committed 
to be all in. Jesus, we love you this morning. And as we depart from this place, God, may we not depart from your presence. We love you this morning. In Jesus' precious name, we ask all of this. And it's for his sake that we pray. And everyone agreed saying yes and amen. Yes and amen. God bless you. God bless you.